Why do I write about Israel? Ever since Hamas carried out the worst massacre of Jewish people since the Holocaust on October 7th, I have been focused on this issue. Any decent person would be horrified by the indescribable evil carried out that day. Part of the reason for my focus has been because genocidal atrocity is the worst evil imaginable. And for this reason, I have spent much of my journalistic career trying to expose it. I have written about genocidal campaigns against Uyghurs and against Tibetans at the hands of Chinese, against Chinese at the hands of Japanese, against Ukrainians at the hands of Russians, against Tigrayans at the hands of their fellow Ethiopians, against Puerto Ricans at the hands of their fellow Americans, and more. I am also focused on this issue because of my love for Israel, which is one of the greatest countries in the world. When I first visited Israel years ago, I was actually pro-Palestinian. I was not that well or deeply informed, but the optics of the political situation was enough that it had persuaded me to one side. The side of the underdog, the side of the oppressed, the side of the occupied. Uh, but then I moved there. I had traveled beforehand for years through China. I had lived there for three years and traveled there throughout the country before that and met many Israelis in my travels and become very close friends with them. Also, because of my family background, I had always wanted to go to Israel and get to know the country. While I lived there, I met many Israelis. I met European Israelis. I met Arab Israelis. I met Palestinian Israelis. And I realized, in many ways, Israel was, in fact, a more liberal democracy than even the United States or any European nation that I knew. During my time there, I visited the West Bank, too. I spoke to Palestinians. I encountered <clears throat> a range of opinion among Israelis, most of it sympathetic to the fight for Palestinian rights, in fact, which I found a little surprising. Whereas among Palestinians, I encountered overwhelming hatred, racism, genocidal fantasy, almost without exception. I found the experience heartbreaking. It would be like going to the United States during slavery and believing that white people were the good guys or going to Nazi Germany during World War II and believing Germans were the ones fighting the good fight. The only difference was the power dynamic here was reversed. Now, the black slaves or Jewish concentration camp victims were the ones with the power and the genocidal racists were the ones struggling to end them. This one difference made the latter the underdogs, and few people, including myself at the time, bothered to look beyond that fact. But I stayed, studied the language, made friends, fell in love with a girl, 
read up on the history and began to go deeper into the religion than I ever had before. I lived for a time up north in Haifa, which is a beautiful city. I had friends there that I had met from China, and I stayed with them. It's a city on the coast. It's not that large, small, but lovely. And I would go down to the water every week and make friends and... Sometimes I would go to the uh, to the Temple of the Bab, which is the most important religious site of the Baha'i faith, and uh, it's a it's a series of gardens terraced along a slope facing the ocean, and um, I used to sit there at the bottom of the slope and read books and look at the sea. I lived for a time also in Jerusalem, of course. I wanted to spend time there. I went to the wall. I spent a lot of time studying Judaism while I was there, trying to go deeper into the faith. I tried to speak to religious Jews and strike up conversations with them in cafes or in restaurants to see how people were living the faith and what they thought of it. I had many different conversations, many interesting conversations with people there. Um, Interestingly enough, some of the best conversations I had were in bars late at night over drinks. Jerusalem to this day is one of the most beautiful cities that I've ever seen. Um, But I spent most of my time in Tel Aviv in a lovely apartment right in the heart of the city. You could not imagine a more wonderful location. One of the things that really struck me about Tel Aviv when I was living there was the incredibly communal nature of Israeli people. Uh, It's hard to even put it into words. It feels as if they are one big family. Despite the population size, everyone seems to know the same restaurants the same cafes. In fact, there's one restaurant known for its hummus, uh, and it's referred to simply by the former owner, Abu Hassan, and everybody knows who this is, and everybody knows the hummus, and similarly, uh, my roommate in Tel Aviv, he had a barber, and people would refer to the barber shop by the barber's name, and everybody knew who you meant when you talked about it. That kind of a place. Um, On a Friday night, if we would go out from the apartment and walk down the sidewalk to go to a bar, there would be Israelis sitting on the steps outside their apartment buildings or sitting on the sidewalk, just in a circle on the sidewalk so that you would have to walk through them or around them onto the street. And they would invariably stop us. And when they heard my American accent... They would invite us to sit down and they would want to strike up a conversation and the next thing you know, you might be having a beer or smoking a joint or getting deep into a conversation, making friends. Uh, A Half an hour could go by, an hour could go by or two hours. You might finally get up, continue to toward the bar, but then you hit 
another circle of people and it starts all over again. It was, you almost didn't even have to go to the bar because um, the people were so friendly and warm. And, uh, you know, it was just such an easy place to love. Um, another reason for my focus on Israel in these past weeks, I suppose, is because of <clears throat> how directly this relates to my own life, recent events in my life, that is, in particular, my recent firing from the Seattle Times. Uh, as you may know, if you are a reader of my newsletter, I had made an argument online with regard to selective outrage on the left, which I saw as a serious problem that wasn't being taken seriously enough. I think now people are taking it a lot more seriously. I had argued that some people, like Vladimir Lenin, uh, will embrace evil acts without any delusion about the innocence of their victims. For this reason, I think that Lenin was in fact more evil than Hitler, who was a delusional racist. Uh, more evil in psychological terms, not actions. But I could never have imagined that only a few weeks later I would witness the cruelest evidence of my argument imaginable. The left celebrated Hamas's atrocities and yet felt outrage over what was happening to Palestinians in the retaliatory airstrikes. They celebrated. They, they, didn't, they didn't say that what was done to Israelis was horrific and unfortunate but necessary in order for Gazans to break free. They didn't pass over the atrocity in silence as they spoke of the, uh, the resistance and the, the, the liberation of Palestinians. They specifically cited acts of atrocity and celebrated it. They made cartoons out of the, the, the paragliders that came down on a music festival where a family member of one of my loved ones was taken and killed. They celebrated this stuff. Knowing full well that the Jewish mothers, fathers, daughters, and sons who were killed were not combatants. They were innocent. And the fact that the people doing this were Leninists, by which I mean they were leftists who support the use of revolutionary violence and accept the consequence of mass death, my original argument had been targeted at exactly those types of people, which was no surprise to me that, that now I would see those same people celebrating. It was shocking to me, but not surprising. In the days after my argument, when the hysteria online blew up and I was fired, the criticism I had received was not from Jewish individuals. In fact, one Jewish scholar of the Holocaust, in fact, told me 
he had seen the scandal and could not understand the Seattle Times' idiotic decision. The Anti-Defamation League, known for being sensitive to this kind of thing, and critics would say overly sensitive, contacted me, and uh, we actually had a pleasant talk. I found the guy who called me thoughtful and caring. He told me he felt bad for me, and he told me that what happened to me was clearly wrong. The Jewish magazine tablet wrote a scathing piece about the Seattle Times' cowardly decision to fire me, and I wrote an essay myself for the Free Press, which is run by one of the best journalists in the business, Barry Weiss, who is herself Jewish. So, who did come after me? Who were my actual attackers when I made this argument about Lenin and Hitler that was supposedly anti-Semitic because people accused me of being a Holocaust denier and a Nazi? It wasn't the Jewish community. It was mostly, as far as I could tell, non-Jewish, reasonably wealthy, white leftists, progressives from Seattle, from Portland, from, you know, um, democratic socialists, people of this type, self-described Leninists on uh, Twitter or X, and sometimes in their, in their profiles, you could see that they were, they would have communist flags, or they would, they would talk about their love of Lenin, so you didn't have to guess, uh, and these Leninists, um, they were coming after me, I suppose, purely for sport, purely for sport, many of them, to quote my, my boss at the Seattle Times, who, the one who later fired me. So yes, when, uh, when my experience with the selective outrage of Leninists or tankies or woke ideologues or whatever you prefer to call them, when that became a global horror show in the wake of the October 7th massacre, I guess a part of me felt vindicated, but in the most soul-crushing way imaginable. I would, I would rather have the world think me a fool and my career forever ruined than be proven right in a way like this. <clears throat> but um, there's this quote by Hemingway that I'm reminded of. I don't remember exactly the words, uh, and I haven't prepared notes for, for what I'm saying right now, so this is all off the cuff. But um, it's something to the effect of, uh, you know, a story isn't good just because it happened to you, or, or bad writers tend to, tend to think that a story is interesting just because it happened to them, something like that. And I think what makes my experience important is not that some journalist got canned for posting something on social media. I think we've all heard a story like that before. That is um, unfortunate, but it actually took me a bit of time to sort this out. Because as you can imagine, I was shocked at first and dealing with 
what I and my wife and our newborn baby daughter were going to do now that we had sold our home, uprooted ourselves, and moved across the country for a job only to be basically stabbed in the back. Uh, it took me weeks to formulate my perspective on the issue, to harden my spine, as it were, and sharpen my teeth and find my words. But in the end, I think it doesn't matter that this happened to me. It matters that this kind of thing happens at all. Because this is how we end up with pro-Hamas professors in our finest universities. This is how we end up with students marching and chanting for the genocide of Jews. This is how we go from the America we love, the land my father's parents came to as immigrants from Russia, the land my mother came to as an immigrant from the Caribbean. This is how we go from the land of promise and freedom to a place maybe not even worth defending where the public celebrates genocidal violence, where Hamas is lionized. This is how the dream of American freedom and liberty dies. The very reason I became a liberal as a young man was to fight the, the, the fight of the oppressed, was, was to fight racism, to fight sexism, to fight homophobia, to see... To see these sentiments emerge, these, these sentiments of racism and, and genocide emerge from the left. To see the very people who claim to fight for the oppressed celebrate the worst form of oppression. <sighs> to see this emerge when I had thought when I had thought this, this thread in American history of, of Nazism, and you can go back and read my post if, uh, on Nazism in, in the U.S. in the 1930s if you have any doubt about the long-standing existence of Nazism in the United States. To see this emerge with such force as if it had never gone away, but to see it come from the left, to see it come from the progressives, to see it... Uh, it was, um, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking. I think it was something that shocked so many of us. Um, not just that it came from the left, but that we realized that it wasn't fringe in the way that we thought. That it wasn't behind us. And to know that the, that the, industry I entered to fight the fight against such injustices, to tell the truth, to educate the public. Journalism. I mean, sure, journalism is not perfect. It, and and as, as someone on the left, often my criticism of it was directed at the right. You know, you have Infowars and... Fox News and the like. But the respectable papers remained and were, I thought, to the left. Maybe not fully of the left, but left of center, perhaps. So to have 
in my experience, my personal experience, to have the biggest paper in the Pacific Northwest bend the knee to a bunch of people who are no different from the Nazis cheering from Hamas, cheering for for Hamas rape. In fact, they are they are the exact same people. They are some of them are the exact same accounts on X. The same accounts that generated the hysteria that got me fired are some of the same accounts that cheered Hamas. The same ones the Seattle Times chose to side with, in a sense, over me. A journalist who has spent his career fighting racism, neo-Nazism, genocide. Um, that part of it disgusted me on a personal level. It disgusted me on a patriotic level. It disgusted me on a professional level as a journalist. I'm still disgusted. Uh, and I can tell you, the paper's Nobel Prize winning winner, Dominic Gates, publicly expressed his disgust, but there were over a dozen journalists who privately reached out and shared their disgust as well, although not publicly, because I'm sure they would, um, they might be fired. But this is the state of affairs in America today. This is how we got to a place where people cheer Hamas. Exactly like this. By decisions exactly like the one the Seattle Times made, or any number of other newspapers or universities or corporations that have made similar decisions along the way that have, that have pushed us in a direction that have encouraged the people who want decisions like this to be made People who seek nothing more than power, but they do it using the language of um, anti-racism, using the language of fighting for the oppressed. And <laughs> and people fell for it. Um, I did too, once upon a time. So now it is, I suppose with a sigh that many of us see the tide finally turning. All it took was 1,400 innocent Jewish lives. We should be ashamed of ourselves. But even worse is the knowledge that the tide is not fully turning. The Seattle Times, I can promise you, is not turning a corner. <laughs> the leftist academics and journalists who have recently cheered Hamas are not turning a corner. If anything, they're doubling down. Even this week, I see more people coming out uh, criticizing anyone who calls Hamas a terrorist organization, for instance. That's the thing about evil. You, you would think people would know better, but you only have to dress it up in the thinnest veil of good. And it will break your heart to see how many people and how many institutions you once thought respectable will fall right in line. That's how Hitler did it. He made, he made appeals about cleaning up society. He framed Jews as a menace this, incidentally, is the exact argument that got me fired, but it's true. He framed his racism, like most racists do, within, within, the, within 
within the architecture of moral righteousness in order to make himself the good guy. And that's how you get people to sign up. You don't convince them to be evil. You convince them that the evil is good. So, these are just a few of the reasons I became wrapped up in this story, and also why my attention has been focused so fully on the Israeli side of the fight. The only focus I have given on the Palestinian side so far is to point out that while we should distinguish Hamas from Palestinians, the latter are not guilt-free. Their culture is rotten with anti-Semitic hatred. Uh, you can check the newsletter archive for my recent post on that. But please don't misunderstand. This is not to condemn Gazans uh, morally in any sort of definitive sense. I have hope and love for all people. And Gazans can change. The United States was similarly fraught with racist hatred at one time. And we changed. We too had to go through a war to get there and we had to go through a civil rights movement. Japan was also horrifically racist and they also had to go through a war, but they changed. Germany, of course, is an example of unfathomable racism and they also went through a war and changed. This isn't to say that it always has to go through war, but just to say that it is possible for a, for a culture to change. It's not just something that I believe with conviction, although I do, but it is something that is proven by the historical record. Um, that said, I... I am sad when I think about the potential that Gaza has to do this because it doesn't seem that there is much, much, much potential there. Um, I am, for example, reminded of the Palestinian pacifist Sari Nusebi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. A, he's a pacifist intellectual, but his voice is not popular among Gazans today. I'm reminded also of Rami Aman, the Gazan journalist who worked to bridge ties with Israel and forge peace through pacifism. He hosted a Zoom call in 2020 and Hamas arrested him for weakening revolutionary spirit. That was the official reason. Because peace weakens the revolutionary spirit of Hamas. Why? <laughs> because for Hamas, the revolution must be red with Jewish blood. So I don't, I don't see a lot of opportunity for change coming out of Gaza. But I hope for it. These things break my heart. And this is not something I've written about yet. This particular aspect of it nor have I commented on the sort of 
the moral calculus of the retaliatory strikes and how do you make determinations when you have Hamas embedded within uh, civilian architecture and, and housing and hospitals? What do you do about that? And how many Palestinian children can die before you pull back? And these types of questions, these are difficult questions. I haven't addressed these in any of my writing. I just wanted to say a few words on why my focus has been so strongly on this topic. Um, people, it seems, are either pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. I haven't seen a lot of people who have given good, good weight to the moral questions on both sides. And uh, um, I consider myself pro-human. I suppose you could say this is why I this is why I have so much smoke for the CCP because I love Chinese people. I lived there for years. I have family members who are Chinese. This is why I have so much smoke for the Ethiopian government. I have many Hawi and Hafti brothers and sisters and have heard many of their stories, harrowing stories. So horrible that I had to uh get therapy to process some of the things that I heard. This is why I hate Hamas. Not simply because I love Israel, although I do, but because I have hope for the people of Gaza. I, I want what's best for them. The ones who support Hamas, even them, as as uh, as hard as it might be for my for me to think that way, I I do have a moral conviction that that is the right way to think. Not the ones who are taking action, of course, um, kill them. But but I do not believe that people should be punished for having. Uh, terrible or even evil opinions. But I fear for the ones who want better, who want peace, who want friendship with their Jewish neighbors, because their voices are not the ones winning out right now. I pray for a better future for them and their families, and as for the rest, all we can do is wait. But anyway... Um, this is the reason that I've been so focused on Israel. I probably will remain focused on Israel, or at least I will, uh, make more posts on it for sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, um, how much, uh, you know, I'm getting information on getting more information from friends and family. And so... Un until there's a, you know, until there's a real inflection point, um, this is probably where I'm going to be. But I just wanted to reach out to my readers and let you know, uh, I've never, I've only been running the newsletter for a short period. And it's been, I've moved around topic to topic per post, you know, something here, something there. I try to balance a focus on uh, political extremism on the left, political extremism on the right. And recently, I've just been entirely on one topic. 
and it's been this. And so now perhaps you understand a little bit more as to why. And, uh, you know, you know a little bit more about me. So it's always good to get to know each other better. Uh, if you have any loved ones in that part of the world, I hope they are safe. And I will talk to you soon.